I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. It says this. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seal on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb who looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes which represented the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders sat down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held seven bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again and I heard the voice of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang, Blessing and honour and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. We're going to pick up where we left off last week as the scene of the throne room of God continues within this chapter. And God is reigning on his throne. He is surrounded by all the creatures and all of creation who are worshipping the one who is worthy of praise. The one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. But now as John watches, he sees the Lord God on the throne with a scroll in his right hand. And this would have been a papyrus document wrapped around a pole. Usually a scroll like this would also would, would only have writing on one side and would be read by just simply unwinding the document. But in this case it is heavily sealed with seven seals. 
The number seven, of course, signifying protection, perfection and completeness. And what is written upon this scroll was complete and final. The implication being that God himself had sealed it. But back in the Old Testament, God had spoken to the prophet Daniel in a vision about how in the last days God would bring final judgment and salvation, establishing his own eternal kingdom. At the end of the vision, Daniel is told, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4 but now here in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1 this scroll now reappears here in the hand of God and this scroll is the fulfillment of God's plan for this world it represents Christ's inheritance it is the fulfillment of all that God the Father has promised because of Jesus sacrificial death on the cross but what we will discover a little later on is that the contents of this scroll is God's whole plan of salvation and judgment for this earth from the cross to the final culmination of all of God's purposes, a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, the contents will be revealed through the rest of the book of Revelation from chapter 6 onwards. But there's one big problem here. Only an authorised person can break the seal and open the scroll. And unless someone can be found to open it, God's plans will never be fulfilled. And John's reaction is to weep. He is devastated by this. This reaction is similar to that of the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah who faced impending judgment without any apparent hope because of the unworthiness and sinfulness of the nation. This is the weeping of a man who's wondering whether God's people will ever be saved and will ever receive their promised inheritance. It's the weeping of one who feels the sin and the unworthiness of all of mankind before a holy God. It is the weeping of one who is concerned for the suffering church and is wondering how can there be protection for God's people if this seal is not opened. It's not surprising that John wept as he realised that God's glorious redemptive plan for mankind could never be completed unless this scroll could be opened. But the one who will open this scroll, the Redeemer, has to be someone who is near to us, someone who is human, but also someone who is willing to redeem, willing to pay the price, but also able to redeem, someone who is sinless. But only God is without sin. No wonder John wept. If this scroll remains closed and sealed, God's kingdom's plan could never be put into effect. But there is a solution. Verse 5. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, he won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And this person is found. And I don't think it's any surprise to anybody here that he is the risen and reigning Lord Jesus. He is the appointed heir. No one else in all of the universe in all of the universe was found worthy to break the seal but Jesus met all of the qualifications he became flesh he became human and he lived among us but he also loves us and was willing to die on the cross for us and because he is the sinless son of God he was able to redeem us and Jesus was the only one who could remove the seal 
which will unlock a series of dramatic events, the climax of which will come into effect with the opening of the seventh seal recorded in Revelation chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. And following the seventh blow on the trumpet, the great day of God's wrath will be announced and will set into motion a series of events that will end this world as we know it and usher in a new heaven and a new earth. But that's for another week. For the purposes of this morning, I want to give you four compelling reasons why Jesus is the one and why we should worship him. The first is this, because of who he is, verses five to seven. There are three unique titles for Jesus mentioned here. Each one of them helps us to appreciate who he is. Firstly, he is the Lion of Judah. The image of the Lion speaks of dignity, of sovereignty, of courage, of victory, of authority. And this title comes from Genesis chapter 49 verses 8 to 10. To Judah, Jacob says, Judah, my son, is a lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honour. And as time passed, it was from the tribe of Judah through King David that this prophecy was initially fulfilled. But it would be one of David's descendants that would inherit an eternal throne. And again, I don't think it's any great surprise to anybody here to know that that descendant was Jesus Christ. And Jesus can prove his kingship from the genealogical records. And even actually when he ministered here on earth, he was often called the son of David. Ultimately, Jesus was born as the Messiah of the tribe of Judah, the lion who roars with ultimate authority and power. And he has authority over the nations. Jesus is king of the royal line of David. And this kingship is emphasised even further by the second title. He is the root of David. Which means he brought David's line into existence. So as far as his humanity is concerned, Jesus is a man who has his roots in David. But although Jesus is 100% man, he is also 100% God. Jesus, the God-man, the man who is God, God who is man. And as far as his deity is concerned, Jesus is the root of David. He is the creator, the eternal one, the ancient of days. And the magnificent titles here pull together themes from the Old Testament showing how God's promises to his people all come into focus in the one person, the person of Jesus. This is the Messiah, the promised one who rules over and delivers his people. But also as a reference to Isaiah 11 verse 1, which says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And Revelation chapter 5 reveals that both these prophecies from Genesis and from Isaiah were fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is both the Lion of Judah and the heir of David's throne. And Jesus is the only one with the authority to open the scroll and put into effect the redemptive plan that God wrote about within this scroll. But he is also the one who has the power 
to carry out God's purposes of salvation and judgment for the world. However, there's a third title. When John turned around, he expected to see a lion. After all, that is what the elders were telling him to expect. Perhaps he even heard the roar of a lion, we do not know. But instead, as he turns around, there is no lion. Instead, he saw a lamb. Now, just in case anybody here is wondering, if you were to die tonight, you will not be greeted in heaven by some sort of woolly animal, okay? So what does the lion symbolise? What does it mean? What does it represent here in verse 6? Well, of the 32 New Testament references to Jesus as the lamb, 28 of them are actually found in Revelation. The reference, and these references come straight out of the Old Testament. It begins, perhaps, in Genesis. First reference is from a question that Isaac asked his father Abraham, where is the lamb? If you know the story, you know they were going up to offer a sacrifice to God. But as they walked up this hill, Isaac realises that there is no lamb. They've forgotten to bring the lamb, the very purpose of their journey. It seems at very best to be bad planning, at worst, well, the alternative is unthinkable. It wasn't surprising that Isaac was confused and questioning the issue of the missing, the missing lamb. But unknown to Isaac, of course, he was to be the sacrifice. But the story ends with God providing a lamb, a substitute. A lamb that will die in the place of Isaac. But this is also a prophetic picture. And this question was fully answered at the beginning of the New Testament by John the Baptist. Because when he sees Jesus for the very first time, he cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. Perhaps the main Old Testament background to a lamb is the Passover lamb. We read about it in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus, we read about this Passover lamb that would be there without blemish or without deformity and it would be repeatedly offered for the sins of God's people. This time it's the Apostle Peter who picks up this theme and he points out to us that we have been redeemed. We've been bought back by God, not with money, not with animal sacrifices, but with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. And then in Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy about a lamb led to the slaughter, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Listen, there are many other, many more prophecies in the Old Testament, all of which have been fulfilled by Jesus. But this theme of the lamb is an important one throughout scripture, but particularly within the Old Testament. But it is always pointing to and illustrating the person and the work of Jesus, the Redeemer. And our cleansing and our forgiveness is by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 7 verse 14. The church is the bride of the Lamb. Revelation 19 and verse 7. And that is why the choirs of heaven sing, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb. But if you were to 
do an artist impression to paint a picture of the lamb as is described here in verse 6, it would look grotesque. Beaten and butchered. This is not a beautiful picture. And Jesus carries the marks of crucifixion and death. He gave his life like a sacrificial lamb. But because of this, he achieved your forgiveness and your salvation. He took your sins upon himself so that you could be redeemed. He bought your freedom and forgiveness. But what is amazing about the lamb as we see it here in Revelation 5, even though he is covered in dried blood and bruising, he carries the very marks of death upon his body. He is in fact standing in strength and power and his eyes are looking everywhere as his spirit, the Holy Spirit searches for his people. He saves and he protects them. And this is emphasized by seven horns, by seven eyes, by seven spirits. See, seven is the perfect number. So the horns convey perfect power, the eyes, perfect wisdom, the seven spirits, perfect presence. And all of these three things are attributes of God. This lamb is God, the son, Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel. Jesus is saviour and Lord. He is the redeemer. He died to save his people but he was raised from death and he is exalted on high. Surely he is worthy of our praise. The second compelling reason why Jesus is the one and why we should worship him is because of where he is. Verse six, Jesus is in heaven. He's not in a manger. He's not in Jerusalem. He's no longer on a cross or in a tomb. He is ascended and exalted in heaven. The saviour is the one who has defeated every enemy and is now in control of all, of all of the events from heaven. The one who has suffered now reigns in glory and he sits at the very centre of all that takes place in heaven and on earth. So all of creation, including the angels around the throne and all of God's people are centred in Christ and they are praising him. We are part of a group of churches called Christ Central Churches. It's part of New Frontiers. But I hope and we pray that we keep Christ at the very centre of all that we do. That is certainly our aspiration. But listen, there is a day coming when that will be the absolute reality. That Jesus is centred on the throne and we all will worship and adore him. But this is so important that we understand this. See, Jesus... He's no longer a baby in a manger or a corpse on the cross. We worship the reigning Lamb of God who is in the middle of all of heaven. He is truly worthy of all our praises. The third reason why, he is the, why Jesus is the one and why we should worship him is because of what he does. Verses 8 to 10. In the picture that is reminiscent of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, the lamb approaches the throne and takes the scroll. And when the lamb came and took the scroll, the weeping ended and the praises and the prayers began. And all the prayers of God's people are represented by golden bowls of incense, a fragrant offering that is offered up to God. 
Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, it gives us just an idea of what they prayed. It says, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Or to put it another way, it's the same prayer that you pray when you say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the heartfelt cry of those who want to see the end to suffering and persecution and the coming of a new heaven and a new earth. And John's vision just gives us a glimpse of a wonderful future when prayers will be answered and Jesus will return in glory. But for now, pray. Pray with absolute assurance. Pray that God's kingdom would be would come on earth as it is in heaven. But be certain that your prayers come right into the very throne room of the Father. But mingled with these prayers is a song of praise. And God's people and all of creation sing together a new song of praise. And this begins as a worship song to Jesus. He alone is worthy. But it's also a gospel song. Praising Jesus for the finished work of salvation on the cross. Have you ever wondered what they sing about in heaven? Well, they sing about the cross. They sing about the blood of Jesus. They celebrate all that Jesus Christ has done. Just as we do. But this is also an international song. And God's redeemed people are saved from every nation people group and language and all of God's created world is loved by God so much and his desire is that the message of hope would be taken to every corner of this whole world. This heavenly song was also a devotional song. It announces our unique position in Christ as a kingdom of priests. See, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in two by God and he opened up the way for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus by faith, you enter into his presence. And what used to only be available to a few selected priests is now open to all who are filled with his spirit. Full access has been granted into the throne room of God for you. If you remember back at Devoted or same thing actually is seen at any music concert or any big festival. There are many people walking around or at least a few people walking around with, with, with badges that say access granted to all areas. And listen, by faith, being filled with the Spirit of God, Jesus has given you a badge that says access granted to all areas areas you can have access into the very throne room of God because of all that Jesus Christ has done. But finally the song is a prophetic song. We shall reign on the earth. This is the prophetic promise from Jesus. When Jesus returns to earth the Bible tells us that he will establish his kingdom for a thousand years and we will reign with him. And God's kingdom will literally come on earth as it is in heaven. And creation will be set free from the bondage of sin. And Jesus will reign in justice and power. This is truly an amazing, incredible song. But it's all because Jesus is the one and he is worthy 
of our praise. But the last reason is this. It's because of what he has, verses 11 to 14. In this closing chorus of praise, tens of thousands, millions of angels and every creature in the universe will join together to worship Jesus, the Redeemer. The one who was born in weakness and died in weakness is now the all-powerful. The one who is regarded as the poorest of the poor on earth, he owns all the riches of heaven and earth. Men mocked him. They laughed at him. They called him a fool. Yet he is the very wisdom of God. He knew what it was to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be tired. Today he possesses all strength and power. On earth he was humiliated, ridiculed, reviled. They laughed at his kingship. They mocked him by dressing him in a robe and and crowned him with a crown of thorns before they nailed him to a cross. But all this has changed now because he receives all glory and honour. And he took all of this abuse. He became a curse for you on the cross. That you might be set free from the curse of sin over your life. He is most blessed. And he is worthy of all praise. And this heavenly worship Service comes to a climax with the entire universe praising the Lamb of God and the Father seated on the throne. And all of heaven's praises are because the Lamb took the scroll from the Father's hand. God's great eternal plan could now be fulfilled and creation will be completely set free from sin and death because of Jesus. Listen, this day is coming soon. In fact, these events may already have begun in heaven. Jesus the Lamb will break the seal and he will put into motion a series of events that will eventually lead to his return to earth and the establishment of his kingdom. And if you've put your trust in Jesus as your Redeemer and as your Saviour, It will be a day of great rejoicing. You will join with all of heaven's worship and you will say, Amen. So be it to all that they are singing. But for those who have rejected Jesus, who have ignored Jesus, it is a devastating day. This is so serious because eternity is at stake. And there is a short time, a window of opportunity to seek God. There is an urgency in this chapter. And listen, some of you may miss out. Either because you think you're okay or because, well, you'll take your chances. Some of you may be thinking or or at least clinging to a distant memory when you raised a hand or prayed a prayer. But the truth is you are no longer living for Jesus anymore. I would encourage you to be honest with yourself. Do you love Jesus now? If Jesus Christ was to return today, would you go to heaven? Have you ever repented of your sins? If not, God will have to deal with them one day. You will face the wrath of God because God is righteous and God is just. Sin must be dealt with and ultimately your sin will condemn you to separation from God. It's what the Bible calls hell. But God is not hard to find. He is calling you this morning. And he has put into place all that you need in Jesus. The lion who is 
your lamb, your forgiveness, your hope this morning. And you need to respond to him. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is the day that you must ask him to come and save you. Ask him into your life. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ so that one day you will stand with all of the rest of creation and just worship, worship the one who is truly worthy. Amen.